everybody welcome back this is your girl your host for this next little bit that you'll be listening to this podcast it's called the obsessible podcast but we are here to talk wheel of time so as you know on this podcast I talk TV and movies like I would with my girls, my colleagues, my booze, my bays, my friends, my peoples, my persons. And this is actually episode two of season one B because we wrapped season one just a couple of weeks ago. We did 10 full episodes. So you guys should definitely go and check that out and see what I was talking about. But if you're here just for real time content, that's totally okay because that is what we are talking about for the rest of season 1B. Totally what dedicated. If you've been listening to my podcast from the launch, you know that I was really, really excited about this show being adapted from the massive global best-selling sensation series of novels that it was from Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson to this Amazon Prime spectacular show that it has become. Y'all knew I was excited. I have been talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And so now that it's airing, we are doing deep dives. I've already done a review of the first three episodes because those dropped all together. So I just killed those with one fell swoop and then had to chomp on my nails (laughs) until episode four came out. And I have subsequently been chomping on my nails since episode four. I am excited to talk to you guys about it because this episode was legit the shit. It was so good. I ugh, I was like, I was literally all over the place. Okay. All right. Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me get myself together. Let me gather my thoughts. Let me pull myself back before I launch into all the things and don't follow my segment segments, breaks, or order of show at all. And then that would just have us be all over the place. And we do not like chaos. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm gathered. I'm gathered. Anyway, as I said, I blew through the first three episodes and arrived at episode four, the opening with bated breath. I was just like, because Charlie had seen the trailer, so I knew what was coming. Okay. Why? 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 Because I knew that we were going to get our first look at the false dragon, Loghain Ablar. And wow. Just W-O-W. Wow. 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 All right. It was so, <laughs> so good. Like what a crazy, awesome, cold opening. I can't really wait to break it all down for you. I'm not going to preamble too much and give too much to this introduction because I just really want to get into the chat. All right. 
So let me preface this review by saying that this was definitely by far my favorite episode. I thought episode three had me. Episode four took me, honey. Took me, snatched me up out the jaws of episode three, all right? Episode three became my second favorite episode and episode four is now by far my favorite episode. And I've been watching reaction videos of non-readers, which is literally now my new favorite pastime. I'm obsessed. Obsessed. Kind of works because this podcast is called Obsessible. So we might think that I might be obsessed about stuff. Just saying. But, you know, just put those dots, connect them one plus ones. Anyway. It is legitimately a good old time watching people who know nothing about the books or know nothing about the show um, react. It's very, very, very entertaining. We will do a full breakdown of this episode. I actually have to shout out the channel that I'm watching all the time, which is called Everyday Negroes. They are absolutely hilarious. They are literally giving me life. I am, I like, hollering sometimes with laughter watching them watch and react to the show in real time so it's it's absolutely hilarious they're on youtube and i highly recommend that you watch them they're very 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 funny so we're going to break down everything in episode four then as usual i will which is the review part of this episode and then I will do my favorite character moment I'll do most hated character moment and then I'll rate the episode and then after that I'll wrap it up with Twitter me laughing which sometimes is not so much about tweets that have made me laugh that are are about the wheel of time but sometimes just about tweets that I commiserate with like on a deep spiritual level I am in agreement um and yeah then we're gonna just say goodbye and wait for the next one all right so I'm actually hours away from episode five dropping. So I was like, girl, you listen, sis, you got to get it together. Get this episode out. Let's do this thing. All right. So if you're new here, welcome to the Obsessible Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, also known as Nikki's. Nikki, not Nikki's. Though some might say there's more than one. Anyway, to my besties. And if you're listening, we are now totally besties. Thank you so much for listening. Tell another friend, honey, so we can keep building this tribe. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow on any platform where you find your podcasts or where you're listening to me, whether that's on Podbean or Spotify or Apple or Google. I'm I'm all the places. I'm in all the places. So go ahead, follow, subscribe, share. As I said, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking all things Wheel of Time. I hope you guys are watching and enjoying the show. There will be spoilers for the books and for the show on these episodes. So watch first and then listen. And it is now go time. So you know what that means. Go grab a snack. Go get a drink. Go for a walk. Cozy up in your favorite spot and press play. And let my melodic voice drizzle over you while you chill out and vibe out to this Wheel of Time review. All right, let's get it. opening 
What? I'm opening. I am. Uh, I'm gonna try to calm down <laughs> so I can actually get these words out. Uh, woo! That's yo. That's like me. <laughs> that got me going all over again. Um, low gain Ablar. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> I have to calm down. I have to calm down. Okay. Where do I even begin with this episode? <sighs> okay. I loved it so much. Like, I love this episode so much. So much. From the opening moments to the roll credits, going in, I knew from the previews that we would be introduced to a very, very important character in the Wheel of Time universe. Low gain Ablar. Logan is one of the few false dragons who survives in the series. Um, he is the first one that we meet in the Eye of the World, and the cold open that the show, the, the cold open shows his rise to power that all happens off the page in the series. I loved that because I was actually really hoping that we would get a lot of off page things um, in the episodes that we were actually watching. It really just expands the world and gives us more depth and gives the show uh, more. I, You know, I just blanked. Like, I just was, like, literally at a loss for words. But it just gives the show more. It gives the show more of everything that we as the fan base um, and the readers of the books would want, Right. There is a significant significant amount of character development and um, action, I guess you would say, that happens off the screen. And just so you know, Logan's rise to power is definitely one of those things. And there is so much dynamics and so much um, layers to his character introduction that we see in that cold open. Um that really kind of lends to the truth of who the character is and how well he has been adapted. At first, I was kind of thinking that this version of Loghain, based on what we saw in that opening, was going to be the version that I didn't really like very much. And in truth, his character isn't really lovable nor detestable. Um, he just has moments. And he it's, he's one of those very full, fully fleshed characters who just really is himself. And he has reasons for being how he is and for thinking the way he does. Um, but his assault on the palace of, in, um, in Giladon actually does a really great job of showing how dynamic he is within his, his personality and with his character. Um, I, initially... I didn't like the fact that they were depicting him as having any form of madness because that's not something that I actually remember happening in the novels that if Loghain truly was mad, like, mm, I just don't, I don't remember it manifesting. I'm sure it could be something that I might have missed, but I was like, I don't remember him being mad um, because you can stave off the madness. It's not like you start channeling and you immediately start then going crazy. It's not really how it works. So I was like, huh, really? Like, why are we doing this with him right now? But then they actually gave the manifestation of the madness by the taint or corruption, as it's now being called in the fandom, um, on Sidon, flowing out of him, physical, a physical um, or visual representation. 
that I thought was very cool. And the fact that it's actually wrapped up in the power, like it is the power, right? Um, but primarily you could tell that there is a difference between the power when it's being wielded and the taint that is kind of like wrapping itself around the power. And so how um, Elusha, which is one of what the female version, the female person whispering in his ears and the male version whispering in his ears um, are all kind of wrapped in black. They're not really, there is no real manifestation of the actual one power wrapped up within them. So we can see that they are fully just a part of the tainted portion um, that is, that corrupts the one power on, on the, well, the male half anyway. Uh, that won me over. Definitely won me over. I was like, okay, all right, you got me. I'm good with this. We can we can go in this direction. I thought that that was really cool. Um, also, the fact that from episode one, we can see that he isn't as fully mad as the poor fellow who was gentled by Leandrin and the marauding reds um, because his apparitions are not fully human. They don't look like actual people. Loghain's apparitions are just manifestations of the taint itself. Like they're just the taint. So I really liked that. Um, and I'm not going to lie. Really thought that the King of Gilodon was mincemeat. Thought he was going to get tore up. <laughs> I was like, mm, mm, he's going to kill him. Um, and so when he didn't, I think both the King and I were quite surprised by that. Not one over. I was not one over because obviously I know who the dragon is. Um, but I could see why... Given those circumstances, he might have endeared himself to him um, and the fact that he can channel. So it's kind of a twofold thing, right? He shows that he's a benevolent leader, um, that he might be a little bit mad, but not so mad as to just be prone to unnecessary violence. That doesn't necessarily speak to the fact that his army has just tore up the whole castle, but eh, you know tomato tomato we had to win over the king in order for y'all to listen so this is where we are um there's a lot of politics in this show among all of the societies and the cultures and we really start seeing that within the Aes Sedai as we arrive in the camp that is transporting Logan to Tarvalin for his trial and his subsequent gentling because it's inevitable right that's what the reds are there to do so before I even jump into the Aes Sedai camp, there are basically four set pieces in this episode. There's the Aes Sedai camp, there is the Tinker Caravan, and there is uh, Matt, Rand, and Tom. Or three, three set. Aes Sedai camp, Tinker Caravan, Rand, Matt, and Tom. Right, three set pieces. And so the episode moves very seamlessly between all three, tracking all sets of the married, like tracking all of the major characters in the show as they're on their individual journeys east. Um, the Emmons Fielders minus Nynaeve hoping to reunite with Moraine and Lan, um, and Egwene and, um, Egwene and Perrin kind of just trying to figure it out, uh, what they're doing, but essentially heading in that direction. And Matt and Rand, really kind of just trying to stay alive at this point and ahead of the dangers that they seem to be more attracting um, as they fled. 
So arriving in the Aes Sedai camp, you start to actually see the politics between the different Ajas and their beliefs, because these are women who might all be Aes Sedai, they might all be considered sisters, but they don't all believe the same things. And that difference in belief and difference in uh, how they go about doing things is going to inevitably cause conflict. And we see that really start to develop within all the scenes that we see that are set within the Aes Sedai camp. We also start getting some new characters. Um, some of them are that are actually really important and play really huge roles in the novels. Um, I'm a little annoyed that one of the characters who's played by Priyanka Rose, her name is Alana. I like her right now because in the books, baby, I do not like her. She does something in the future that is like horrible. Like it's just disgraceful, which again, goes back to just speaks to Robert Jordan's ability to make his characters very, very well-rounded. Like they're just full. And so there is often this people doing bad things for good reasons, people doing, and you just don't have to like what the person has done, but you might still like the person, like the character. Um, it took, I was just so bothered by what she did that I wrote her off. I was like, I don't care. I don't care about, I don't care about Alana. I don't care about her. I don't business. What she did was dead wrong and to me unforgivable. So I just was like, mm, written off. Um, and she put herself in a seriously heinous position in doing what she did. Okay. So that being said, it was nice to see her on screen right now. I like her. I don't know if they're going to keep what I'm talking about that I'm not going to spoil for you. Um, in the show when we do get there, but if they do keep it, y'all will see how it's not cool. Full stop. Um, we also get more screen time with the very manipulative Leandrin, who also really don't like. I would use her honorific of Sedai, but I'm not going to. I don't like her, so I'm not going to use her honorific and she could suck it. Anyway, <laughs> um... We get to see that Maureen has a chance to see what all the hubbub is about when it comes to Loghain after she's healed, of course, which is done by Kareni, who is the, uh, I guess, the leader of the Green Aja. This is not necessarily something that's specifically detailed in the episode. It's actually really not. You're going to get that in your behind the scenes tidbits, but um, she is. And as Alana explains, the Green Aja is the battle Aja. They are there to um, basically stand up against the armies of the of the Dark One during the last battle. That is their purpose. And so they are often the ones who know how to use defensive weaves in order to defend themselves, the lives of their warders, the armies that they might be supporting. So that's the green Aja and that's who Krenny is. So Moraine, she gets healed. And she steps into the chamber where Lorgain is being held in this uh, gilded cage, <laughs> not so gilded cage. Um, and she realizes that he's also very powerful. 
and that it requires the most powerful Aes Sedai of them, which at this point is Alana, Kareni, and Leandrin, in order to maintain his shield, which has to be maintained, or he will then be able to access the one power and cause havoc. The problem with that is there's something that they're able to do, but they don't really actually show that, which is tie off the weave so they could shield him, tie it off, and walk away. But I'm assuming that what they want to convey is that this is a very powerful man. He is very strong. And so they have to sit there and maintain it. They have to be present with um, with maintaining the shield. Now, they're months away from Tar Valen. Can you imagine how much power and strength it will require of each of these channelers in order to do that? Madness. Um, which enter Leandrin and her snakish ways. Maureen realizes that um, he might be the one because she really doesn't know, right? She had a hunch. She went after that hunch. Things started to progress in a way that made it seem like maybe her hunch was paying off and she was right to go to Emmons Field because immediately after she showed up, the Trolloc showed up, the Dark One was after them. So maybe uh, these five, four, five, five people that she took out of this small village could potentially, one of them could potentially be the dragon. But then you have this man here who can channel the power, who is incredibly strong. And now she's like, I don't know anything. What do I know? Who am I? I've only been looking for the last 20 years. Like, I've only chased down clues across half the world. Like, I clearly don't know anything. And she admits that. And we see that in later scenes um, within the I Said I camp. Something that I thought was really, really awesome, and I just, it just had made, give me the biggest grin while I was watching, was when Moraine decided to take over, well, to help, right, and um, provide her power, she, she weaves, um, she weaves a weave of spirit in order... She weaves a shield of spirit. Can I get myself together? She we she weaves a, uh, a shield of spirit and lays it, like it looks like a net, on top of Loghain. And it settles into him. And that is actually exactly how I imagined it in my, in the, like, when I was reading the books. And I was like, holy crap, that's actually exactly how I pictured it. Loved that. It, I, things like that are so, 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 so cool to me. And I rarely have those experiences. I think the last time I had that was with Lord of the Rings. Um... But so enjoyable. It just gives gives us fans an opportunity to geek out geek out about something that we had long since imagined in our minds what it might look like or what that experience could have looked like. And the visualization of it was definitely very satisfying. Another thing that I thought was really cool was the depiction of how an Aes Sedai embraces the source. You might have missed it if you weren't paying attention because I didn't catch it the first time I watched it. I actually don't think I caught it the second time I watched it. I think it was the third time I saw the episode that I was like, oh my God, wait a minute. That's what's happening here. And the moment is right before Moraine places the shield on Loghain, Kareni starts to embrace the source and because she was actually preparing to take over from Leandrin before Moraine suggested that she was strong enough and would share the burden. Krenny then lets go of the, lets go of the source. Um, if you watch it again, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. There is almost this moment where um, Sidar starts to flow out of her. Just a, It's very subtle, it, just a little bit, but that is, that is the representation of what it looks like for an Aes Sedai to be prepared to channel. It's called Embracing the Source. So... I thought that was really cool. I loved, loved that. 
Um, and that was not at all what I was expecting. Like the way they made it seem was not the way I had pictured it in my head. I had pictured I had pictured a nimbus, and they always describe it as a nimbus appearing around a woman um, that can only be seen by another channeler who female. So women can only see women embracing, and men can only sense men embracing. So, um, I like yeah, you're only supposed to really see this nimbus. So I thought that that's what they would do because it's it's actually probably the easiest thing to do but they didn't go in that direction and i was still okay with it like it, it still looked really really cool um something else that happened in the i said i camp that made me very happy um for no real reason other than uh it's something that's talked about a lot in the books and so to see it actually happen and for them to include it in the story was another like super geeky book nerd moment um, and that's when Lan is pr practicing sword forms with Stepin, who is Kareni's warder. Um, like I said, it's being trained, like the conversation around swordmanship um, and being legendary and being well-trained and practicing so that you are you can become worthy of carrying a Heronmark blade is something that men aspire to in this universe. And it really made me happy to see Lan doing that. Um, like I said, at this point, we would have gotten a lot of that in the books because he was actually training Rand to be worthy of carrying his Heronmark blade that Tam gave him, who Tam clearly, Tam is his father, um, who Tam clearly had earned his Heronmark um, and was a sword master, but, or a blade master, but uh, Rand is nowhere near, anywhere near he, where he needs to be at this point. And he's going to need to be good with the sword at some point. <laughs> um, so even separating the fact that Rand is not actually with them and that they're not, they didn't get that opportunity of time with them for the training to happen. So it was good that they just included it to kind of satisfy that need to see it happening. Anyway. And it, and it, again, it just, it just made me happy. <laughs> so after that, we kind of fought, we've, flow back and we find ourselves with the Tinkers um, and Egwene and Perrin. Perrin is kind of voicing his concerns about the Tinkers and their trustworthiness. And I suppose you can't really blame him considering everything that they have gone through and, um, you know, how much they, how little they know of the world. I think this it's now it's like really hitting them. They don't know anything. Like they have very little experience with life. And so they're just kind of like, oh my God, like I just literally want to stay alive at this point. And I don't know if I can trust any of these people. Granted, things are not as bad for Perrin and Egwene as they are for Matt and Rand. But here we are. They still have questions and Perrin is asking them. And, you know, Egwene shows, reassures Perrin and lets him know that, yo, listen, whatever you want to do, I'm about that life. Like if you want to cut, we'll cut. If you want to stay, we'll stay. But you let me know. And then that's, and that's what we're doing. And I appreciated that from her. And that's just really who Egwene is. Um, she's my favorite character. I don't know if I've said that enough already, but I'm going to say it a hundred more times, probably before these reviews are over and the season ends. So, you know, just get used to it. Love me some Egwene. But in very Aram style, he kind of puts their worries to rest and invites them to travel with them, lets them know that they're heading to Tarvalin. So, um... And I really, really loved the shot of the caravan as it moved off. They kind of used, I believe it was a drone or it was a crane, but whatever it was, it was a very wide shot that very quickly pulled back from, you know, the characters themselves, 
giving us a very wide angle of the landscape so we could see the landscape but we could also see the the, the tinker caravan as it progressed um and started to move east and it was exactly how i pictured that in my head they the wagon homes are what i thought that they would be and it really does set up the these scenes really do set up some of the best adapted scenes from the books to the show um because there is a character that has not been introduced, the production is kind of using other ways to get the story of the Tinkers and the time that Egwene and Perrin are with them told. Uh, I really, really enjoyed all of the scenes, especially when Isla starts talking about the way of the leaf, which triggers Perrin. Totally triggers Perrin because she, Isla seems to know that he's suffering as a result of a violent act that he has committed. She doesn't know the specifics, obviously. And here we also get the sense that maybe Egwene does, because as soon as Isla mentioned the axe, Egwene looked at Perrin and put her, her hand on his arm to comfort him. So I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if he has actually told her what he did. Um, I really can't explain to you how well done this was. There's a lot of time spent with the Tinkers in the books, and so they, having obviously needed to, needing to compress all of this experience and having a character missing has to be done elegantly. And they've done a really, really, really good job of that. Um, I really also loved how Egwene helped Aram see his own people in a new light. Like he started to see him, himself and his culture through her eyes. And because of that, it allowed him to kind of rediscover his own culture. Um, Isla's story, her moments with Perrin, um, the heartbreaking relating of how she ended up losing her daughter and, you know, why she continues to persist in promoting a life of nonviolence really, really, really could have caused me to drop a tear if I hadn't to drop a tear if I hadn't been so daggone excited about how the episode was playing out. I was too giddy to get emotional. <laughs> just I was just way too excited. Um, but I really loved that scene. And the actress who plays Isla, she's just, she's killing it. She's just doing such a great job. Um, what I would like is more from Rain, which is Isla's husband. And is it just me or does the actor who play Rain uh, look a lot like Taika Waititi? Like I keep thinking to myself, are they going to pop up and just be like, oh, by the way, this was Taika Waititi. He just really wanted to be in the show. Like, he looks a lot like him. Is it just me? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> but he looks like him. Anyway. So it should be said that everything that's kind of happening with all of these characters and their travel is happening over several days into weeks. But that, like I said, that story has to be condensed and pulled together in a way that is that allows it to hit all of the major plot points while not staying too, too, too close to the original content. This episode does this very, very, very well. When we get to Rand, Matt, and Tom, who, as in the books, are all, whom, they're all traveling together, just like in the books, after the group is separated, um, there, are, there are a bunch of different experiences that these three have. There are a bunch of different experiences that Matt and Rand have. They combined all of that into one sequence. Um, and it was incredibly satisfying because we get to see a few things that are really, really important. We get to see that Matt is deteriorating very, very quickly. We also understand that nobody knows why that's happening to him. We get Tom's 
like assumption as to why that is because Tom thinks that that Matt can channel and that is why his um his demeanor has changed and his his physical self has changed so much um I think my favorite part of this particular sequence is when the corruption and evil of Shadar Logoth is seen seeping into and out of Matt when he gets violently ill after he's working um I mean oh like that was really, 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 really good. Um, I love that they give it a physical manifestation because you don't get that in the books. It's just this deterioration and this mental affliction that he's going through. Um, I also love the end of the sequence when Matt is found enthralled to the Shadow Logoth evil, evil, and it like appears that he has literally done this heinous thing and slaughtered everybody in the homestead. Only for us to realize that there is a fade hiding from Matt. And yes, it was hiding from Matt in the shadows of the loft in the house. It clearly wanted no smoke from Matt. It could sense the evil coming from Matt. And when Matt called it out, like it hid until Matt called it out. And Tom being Tom lit it up with some blades um, because he's always ready to throw a knife. The tussle that ensues is such magic because um, we know fades ain't nothing to play with. They ain't nothing to play with. And Tom, just like in the books, sacrifices himself to save Rand and Matt. I loved that moment. Like, love, loved it. They did it justice. Um, the movement of the fade, how it rolled the shadows, how it attacked, retreated, even how it caught Tom's blade in midair was perfect. Just mwah. Uh, and can you th imagine, like, the kind of courage it would actually take um, to engage in that fight with a fade, I mean, like as <laughs> everyday Negro, as one of the guys from everyday Negroes calls him, Sir Many Teeth. <laughs> not, not too many teeth. Oh Lord, I love love that YouTube channel. <laughs> Specifically, I love their Wheel of Time content because that's how I found them for the Wheel of Time content. But child, they be killing me. Um. But like that kind of courage is like, is wild to me. And it literally is what makes Tom a legend. And he is a legend. He's one of my favorite characters. I adore him. Um, even when he's been curmudgeonly and miserable, he's still a legend. Love Tom. So back to Moraine and the Aes Sedai camp. Okay. All right. I'm giddy because I'm talking about one of my favorite parts. I'm about to talk about one of my favorite parts. Okay. OG, like Nynaeve and Lan. That's all I have to say. Like this version of the story of these two characters is moving in a better direction and at a better clip than in the book. Because in the book, in the why? That's all I have to say. Why? It's downright frustrating in the books, to say the least. So much subtext and things left unsaid that I just wanted to punch both of them while I was reading it. Like, just talk up now. Say what you're feeling. Like, say, speak words. Use vowels out your mouth to the other person so they know what it is that's going on between you guys. Like, come on, man. Okay. But we're at the beginning, but they're doing better. They seem to be doing better. Okay, like, yes, love it, love it, I love it. Then we have the snake that is Le Leandrin, trying to use her brain on Nynaeve and totally opens up a conversation with her by mispronouncing her name. Like, why don't you go on and sit somewhere with that foolishness? Like, go on. 
I loved how how Lan expertly steps in. And I also like how Nynaeve totally shows that she is not some village wisdom with no sense of people. She called Leandrin immediately as soon as she walked away. She's like, mm-hmm, I know who that heifer is. She a snake. Have I said that I really, really like this version of Nynaeve far better than the one in the books? Um, like, Nynaeve annoyed me probably for, there are 14 books, probably for seven. <laughs> she, she annoyed me for most of those books. She's very, very self-righteous. She has this way of being angry and not logical. Like, her thing is anger, okay? I don't know if you guys have picked that up, but anger is her favorite emotion. Um, if she's scared, she gets angry. If she, if somebody frustrates her, she gets angry. She just, it's her favorite emotion. It is the thing that makes her flawed, right? But it's also the thing that gives her power initially, and it's also the thing that robs her of power. It It is very complex and very dynamic. And I appreciate that, again, back to Robert Jordan and his ability to write very full character. Um, but sometimes it's extremely misguided. And you're just like, like her, she'll decide she hates a person. Like she, for most of the books, she hates Moraine. I'm just telling you guys straight. For most of the books, she hates Moraine. And I'm just kind of like, and denies all of the good that she does. Like, denies the fact that, like, like she just cannot accept the fact that if Moraine had not showed up, they'd all be dead. No matter what they experience, no matter what she goes through, no matter no matter how the fact that everybody has remained safe and alive and well and whatnot, she still is, like, this vengeful spirit, this grudge that she holds against the woman. And Moraine basically treats her like a child the entire time. She just ignores her constantly and just does what she has to do and stays focused and i love that about about moraine moraine is singular in her in her focus singular she's like she just don't business what it is she's going to get it done and she doesn't really because she understands that whatever is happening with Nynaeve and how Nynaeve feels about her is partly misconceived misconceived uh uh conceptions that she has of Aes Sedai but also which I love how that was handled in this episode as well. But also that she just don't know any better. She And she's a child, literally. Because what you guys don't really know is that Moraine is around 40-odd years old. And Nynaeve is 25. And she obviously doesn't look it. Um, but the fact that these women have so much more life experience... Um, is no never mind to her because she just would bully up everybody in the women's circle and get her way. Um, and she just can't do that with Moraine and drives her nuts that she can't. Um, and there's things that she doesn't know. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's my need. Sorry. I just had to go into that because I just need you guys to ex understand how different and not a hundred percent different, but how not as hardcore this Nynaeve is in terms of her um, misguided anger and her self-righteousness, though she is still both. Um, so one of, so throughout this entire, all of the scenes that happened in the I Said I camp, one of my favorite moments, but I, one of my favorite moments, I'm, I still have to do favorite moment, but overall, but one of my favorite moments um, and actually was the funniest to me of moment in the entire episode was when Nynaeve was hanging out with the warders around the water fire and when they were explaining to Nynaeve who the Aes Sedai are and who the warders are 
when Nynaeve realizes that Alana and her two warders are in a relationship, and she's like, but wait a minute. And then Lan gets up to go. The look on her face is priceless. Like, she's so confused, then curious, at the same, then confused. And, the, like, her face goes back and forth between, like, curiosity and confusion and curiosity and confusion. So, so enjoyable. And Stepin is just only there giggling over his his, his ale or wine or whatever the heck he was drinking in his cup. I loved that scene. Um, from there, the battle scenes that follow shortly after show up. The Aes Sedai show up and show out. This is when the Dragonsworn show up, which is uh, Loghain's army. And I, it really displayed how Aes Sedai and Warders work together in battle. And I thought that that was really, really cool because we're not supposed to really see that yet. Um, that scene was really chaotic and I think they wanted it to be that way because that was ex exactly the experience that I had. It was very chaotic at first. Listening to Daniel Green's, um, YouTube channel, um, also big Wheel of Time person, all things fantasy really, but he's a huge Wheel of Time fan, pointed out that it looked a little LARPy and I was like, oh dang, it really did kind of look LARPy. <laughs> um, but I still really enjoyed it and I must have because I've literally watched the episode four times. I think I'm about to do five because I'm, I watch while I record the reviews so that I can kind of like remember the points that I want to make and all, and also to pull audio extraction from the episode in real time, like while I'm recording. Uh, another thing I was just literally all high, heart eyes over was the scene with Moraine and Lan, which although I know there is literally no romantic relationship between these two, it was so punctuated with heat that I that I wasn't really expecting, um, but I'm also totally into. <laughs> I want to ship them. <laughs> I want to ship them, even though I know there's another relationship forming, but I literally was like, what? Uh, oh. <laughs> what is happening here? Their energy is kinetic. Um, but the moment I'm speaking specifically of was when Lan mentions that he shouldn't have drank because it makes Moraine emotional when he does. That is literally a great book tidbit. Um, it's not always discussed about how things affect, um, like how the things that a warder and an I said I do affect each other physically, um, outside of like pain, injury, etc. Um, but the drunkenness and the, and the resulting effect on the other person who shares the bond is, was really nice to see that they had brought over from the books. And I really, really loved and enjoyed that moment. Uh, so when the dragon sworn finally you know, break through, like show up and break through, all hell literally uh, breaks loose, and it's obvious to all that Loghain was merely abiding his time. He knew his army would show up. Uh, he literally sat there and conserved his energy while he was being held. And when he sensed that his peoples had shown up to free him, he blasted the crap out of Leandrin and Karini, almost killing both of them. I was like, oh, they did. Which, I, hey, I wouldn't have minded if they had killed Leandrin. <laughs> That is one plot change I would not have been bothered about. Um, I don't really remember Karenny from the books, to be honest. So what everything that happened next was just, I didn't really have an emotional connection to. So for me, it was pure TV and I was able to just enjoy it as a person watching a epic fantasy series on TV. I was cool with it. Um, it literally at this point is a fight for life. As we see the Aes Sedai doing everything that they can to save themselves and defeat Loghain's army, which results actually in Karenny's death. 
she does it. She dies saving Moraine and Leandrin, right? Which causes Stepin to go berserk and also caused a moment that had me sit up and actually freak out. Look, okay? But let me go back to Stepin and Kareni. I actually needed Stepin to go a little more berserk. Like I needed him to be more emotional. I think that initially when he feels Kareni dying or the injury before she dies, um, that he is a little in shock, but it should have been more visceral of a reaction. We should have seen a more bigger, a bigger reaction out of him. That I will say was a one criticism about that because it is very much like it's happening to you. So it should have been represented in that way. But back to the moment that had me sit up and freak out. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, if this moment had played out any other way, I would have been done with the show. Done. There would have been no more reviews. I would have told you guys. I would have, I, done. I would have been done. Um, and so you guys must know because you've already watched. I'm talking about the moment when Lan is injured and it appears, and he appears that he's bleeding out. I lost my mind. I lost my ever loving mind when that was happening. Um, that would have been it for me and the wheel of time. <laughs> done. I would have tapped out. I'm like, no, you guys, this is actually now ruined for me. Um, but whew, the exceptional burst of awesome power Nynaeve expresses that save lands, saves lands life and heals simultaneously everyone who was in the chamber and was injured as a result of Loghain. Baby shooketh. Okay, shook it. My mouth was on the floor. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I, ooh, ooh, that was good. That was good. So much happened in that moment. Not just the fact that Nynaeve was saving Lan, not just the fact that there was this burst of power that came out of her, but simultaneously Loghain is like, hmm, I'm definitely not the dragon. And it hits him in that moment because he doesn't see the light the way we see it, right? Or we as the viewer, but we technically as Aes Sedai, because the only people who could have actually seen what she did, the power of it, were the other Aes Sedai in the room, okay? He didn't actually see it, but he, he could sense it and he could actually feel the reverberation of it. So he knew that the power that she had just displayed was awesome. And after Moraine basically just told him, you're just another crazy dude and you're, you're strong. Sure, you're strong, but you ain't nothing as to what the Dragon Reborn will be. And then Nynaeve does that. I was like, baby? <laughs> Logan was like, yeah, mm -hmm, that's it. Mm -hmm, I ain't him. I'm just a crazy dude. And it's that exact moment that cost him because... Leandrin, being healed by Nynaeve, seizes that opportunity and in the chaos convinces her sisters to link with her to then cut him off from the source forever. The scene was awesome. That scene was everything. Very different from the novels, but in my esteem, worth the major departure. Worth it. Um, I, I had waited to see what they were going to do now with Nynaeve to show how strong she was. And then it made, it immediately, immediately made me think of 
what they're going to do with the channelers who are stronger than her. Because yes, baby, there are channelers who are stronger than her. Ah, oop, oop. It's going to be good. <laughs> it is going to be good. I cannot wait to see that on screen. I cannot wait to see that on screen. And then the way that the, ends up, the episode ends with a close-up on Nynaeve and the question that it leaves, because everyone is asking it, because Moraine is like, what the entire... <laughs> like, she didn't already know that that is what she was capable of, because she had tested Egwene, so she knew Egwene was powerful, but she had not had the opportunity to do that with Nynaeve. So she didn't know, <laughs> which is a departure from the books. I will say that um, because in the book, she does know, but Moraine was shook and I loved that. I loved, I loved this version of it. This is cool. Um, when I was done with the episode, because I watched it a week ago today, Thursday, um, it was one o'clock in the morning and I literally needed to talk about it. Like I was pacing, <laughs> I was pacing back and forth. I was freaking out. I literally was pulling my own hair. Um, and I went from, to, went looking for my sister, found her and cause she hadn't watched it yet. And I quietly, because like I said, it was one o'clock in the morning. I wasn't trying to wake up the whole house, screamed and raved for half an hour about how amazing the episode was. My mind was tilting because if that was, like I said, what Nynaeve was able to do, and she's one of the strongest channelers of that age, then what will the dragon look like? Sorry, spoiler alert. She's not the dragon. Um, what will the Forsaken look like? You'll figure, you'll find out who those are. What will the Sean Chan channelers, who are some of the oldest and the most immensely powerful channelers in this universe? Like, baby, baby, baby. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see what that looks like. And also, what is Balefire going to look like? Boy, they better do that. They better do that justice. Um, they better do that justice because I'm I'm on pins and needles waiting for that to be visualized. Even though like I obsessively watch the show and I wait on pins and needles between between episodes, and then I think about it constantly <laughs> between episodes. I'm really glad that they didn't release the show all at once. I wouldn't have been able to handle it. Poor mind would have been done craned off into the ether, like just <laughs> just just gone. <laughs> be good to nobody. Um. Episode four was perfect. Loved it. And I'm so ready to bring on episode five. Seven times for the seven towers the Mount Yeah. For the home we lost. I wish we'll find again. In this life on the next. You pray often. I didn't know you knew the old town. I don't. It's the last thing my parents ever said to me when they hit me in the cellar during an attack on our village. I used to say it whenever I was scared. 
Why did you stop? People don't go to wisdoms for ignorance. I don't even know what the words mean. Do you want to? last king of Anethrin said to his wife for the battle I knew they'd lose we shall go into the land so our children can always hold us and we'll never be allowed Exactly. Um, dear. <laughs> oh, guys. <laughs> now that I have seen it five times, <laughs> I can have the appropriate emotional response that that scene required. I absolutely love this moment between these two characters. That was literally my favorite moment of the whole entire episode um there obviously were i i said many times during this recording (laughs) that there were moments that i loved uh separate moments individual moments from different scenes that i loved but that moment between lan and nynaeve was my favorite moment for the entire episode it gave me everything that it needed to give um it showed the begrudging relationship forming between uh, between Lan and Nynaeve, uh, ship them. Go ahead. Feel safe in order to do that. Um, and gave us a little backstory into to Lan, which they have not dived into, as to who he really is. And I think I, I think I kind of like that right now. That that we don't really know like much about Lan. Um, but that moment where she discovers him praying and they talk about why he's praying and whatnot, I I I just I loved I loved loved it. Loved it. Yes. Thank you. I'll take more please. Yes, I will. Nene, isn't it? Sorry if I'm mispronouncing it, I can't quite place the accent. That's because you haven't heard me speak. I'm imagining you came over here because you want something. You I said I always do. So I think I'll ask questions first. Depending on how well you answer, maybe I'll give you what you want. How long have you known Moraine? I can't stand that ever. And granted, in that clip, you guys only really heard her speak for a very short period of time. But I didn't need her to speak any longer. And her approach to Nynaeve um, so that she can gain information or insight into what Moraine's plans are clearly backfired to a point. Um, But this actually also is very indicative of the naive that I was telling you about in the books where misguided and suspicious and angry for no reason around certain, around certain things because she just can't seem to grasp if things had happened a different way, then there would be death. 
that's kind of the thing that I'm that annoyed me in that moment because I was like you this woman has approached you completely mis misused your name mispronounced your name has clearly tried to manipulate the, the situation and immediately your first thing that you want to ask is how well and how long she's known Moraine before you shut up and listen because obviously as you said she wants something that annoyed me but this is actually not about me disliking Nynaeve because I don't dislike Nynaeve this is about Leandrin and Leandrin being Leandrin. She's actually very sweet in this moment. Leandrin is nothing close to sweet. And I thought, again, that was very dynamic of how um, Leandrin's not necessarily a well-rounded character. She's just evil. So that actually, that moment with Nynaeve makes her actually a little more well-rounded because the the, the, Leand, the Leandrin you meet in the novels is would never be that sweet, <laughs> I guess you could say, um, or charming. She wouldn't be charming in order to get information out of somebody. She would just impose her will upon them. <laughs> that is what Leandrin would do. If you haven't known, anyway, so that's my most hated character moment. Right now, don't really have a lot of people to throw that at because they're not really focusing on the villains. They're trying to build the backstories and the characters of the actual heroes. Um, aside from like, obviously the shadow spawn, but there will be people for you to throw your ire against. I know this, right? But for now, I'll just throw it at Leandrin because I dislike her. Carrie Ann Inaba. Nine! Okay, it's time to rate the episode five out of five. That, five, ten out of ten, ten out of ten, five stars, flashing, five hand claps, five wheels, five oberuses, five stars, um, top tier, elite level status. <laughs> I mean, this episode gave me all the things I wanted to get out of this adaptation. Everything. Hit every single major plot point. Um, I saw how they combined uh, sequences in the novels to make them one punchy sequence, but not missing the true essence of the character development that's happening as a result of this journey to, to reunite with each other. Um, I loved getting to see the Aes Sedai in battle so quickly and what the one power looks like in battle because you just don't get that in the first few books. Um, it's a very individual battles that happen in the first, in the first few books, but yeah, it's, it's everything y'all. <laughs> it just gave me everything. It gave me everything, everything, all the things, everything. So you guys know what that means. It is now time for Twitter me laughing. So here are some of my favorite tweets about the show in general, but more focused on episode four. The Jeff Rock Six tweeted, look, I am not obsessed with hashtag the wheel of time. I can quit rewatching it and watching all the YouTube videos about it and reading articles about it and telling everyone I talk to about it anytime I want. Yeah, not obsessed at all. 
hashtag obsessed, hashtag not obsessed, hashtag what. I, we are the same. That is, that is, that is it. That is all. I actually responded to that tweet because we are the same person. Ceramic tweeted, when you're stuck at work till three and the episode drops in just over an hour, hashtag wheel of time, hashtag Twitter of time, at prime video, at wheel of time. And it's a gif of a very little owl having what appears to be a panic attack. <laughs> Poor little guy. At Qish Joshua tweeted, this series actually lives up to the hype. Hashtag wheel of time. Tor Books tweeted today, from November 19th to the 27th, the Wheel of Time was the number one show in the world. Number one streaming show in the world. Let's make that distinction. Congratulations. Congratulations. At James Althor, me screaming at the TV tonight, <laughs> hashtag, watching hashtag the Wheel of Time. And it is a gif of Homer chasing an egg <laughs> from the Simpsons. Easter eggs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> At Tower Podcast tweeted that feeling of happiness that hashtag episode five is almost here and you're excited to see it, but then you remember there are only three episodes left in season one. Hashtag the Wheel of Time, hashtag Dragon Sworn, hashtag the Wheel of Time is turning, hashtag Twitter of Time. I know it's very distressing. At Black Tower News One tweeted, where was he as the attack began? He was talking about the murder all. <laughs> so the attack on Emmons Field in episode one is what he's referring to. And it is a gif of a woman dancing on top of what is, I believe, a bulldozer of some sort. While there seems to be bombs dropping in the distance. <laughs> quite an interesting, because it looks like a real video. Like, what's going on here? And what part of the world is this from? Concerning. And it says the merge all watching his Trollocs burn down Emmons Field. Anyway, that is it for Twitter. <laughs> that is, it. you know, I was going to say Twitter of time. <laughs> that is it for Twitter, me laughing. And that means my friends, my fellow Wheel of Time obsessed listeners, that we have come to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for rocking with me. Thank you for coming back and listening. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for talking about it with me. I really appreciate you. And I'm I'm going to go eat dinner so I can get into episode five and listen to this so that I can drop it tout sweet. Thank you so much. This is your girl, Nikki, your bestie, and we out. Have a good one, guys. Bye.